Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry here with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Anya Smits. She's a licensed psychologist in private practice in San Francisco. Uh, Anya, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, you're welcome. So can you just tell me, we'll just get started with your impressions of the two sessions that I had with Jim? Sure. Yeah, it was, it was really great to listen to those sessions. And I had... I had the impression that, yeah, really a lot of growth happened for him and he, he came a really, really long way in therapy with you, it sounds like. Yeah, I think he really started out really not knowing what he was feeling at all. And so he also had a lot of avoidance just because he didn't know what he was, he was reacting to his feelings frequently, not knowing the language about his feelings at all. Um, and so now it's really great that he self-monitors, he has um, language around what he feels, and then he stops and acts on his values, or at least he's heading in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I could really see how he gained a lot of understanding about his emotions, um, all different kinds of emotions, really challenging some previous beliefs about, um, yeah, what does it mean to be uh, a man or what is he allowed to feel in the first place so really normalizing emotions in general and then yeah what also really stuck with me was was noticing that yeah he was really avoiding feeling any kind of emotions um and yeah it sounds like he's come like a really long way there to um yeah, actually be with his emotions and not not experientially avoid anymore. Yeah, and can you, so I use that term experiential avoidance and I also talk about um, like avoidance, compulsions, neutralization, safety behaviors, reassurance seeking behaviors. I basically see them all as synonymous um, or they have slightly different functions, but they're uh, mostly synonymous. Um, I'm just wondering from your perspective, like how do you see experiential avoidance and how do you talk about it in your clinical practice? Yeah, that's that's a really, really good question. So I'm I'm working mostly from an ACT perspective. So that stands for acceptance and commitment therapy and experiential avoidance is one of the big mechanisms that's at play when people are getting stuck or have that sense of like really getting stuck and, and not being able to uh, live the kind of life that they really want to be living. And we use it as 
yeah, a way to describe that you're you're trying to solve um, you're you're trying to solve your emotional or internal experiences by uh, trying to get away from them in in any way that you can. So that can be can be with like all these different things that you just mentioned, like uh, rituals or compulsions or safety behaviors, um, or just distracting myself from uh, from unpleasant feelings or thoughts or sensations. So um, the way that I'm talking uh, to my clients about experiential avoidance is first of all, noticing when that is happening. So we would notice what kind of internal obstacles are coming up for them um, when they're thinking about like, these are the things that I really want to be doing and I seem not to be able to do them. Um, so we're getting really curious about what is their internal experience in the first place. And I heard for Jim, that was a big part of it also, noticing what kind of feelings were actually underneath that anger that he like transformed every feeling into, right? So we're noticing what kind of feelings, what kind of thoughts, what kind of sensations are actually coming up, like that process of, of slowing down and observing their internal experience in the first place. And then noticing, um, yeah, where that's pulling them, how they're trying to get away from these experiences and, and seeing if that's actually workable. If those feelings and thoughts and sensations are, are coming back or if that is actually uh, a working strategy to improve their lives and to feel better. And how would you, how, how can you tell whether or not a strategy is workable? What do you mean by that? Um, so it's really looking at your looking at your own experience. So let's say these thoughts, feelings, and sensations are coming up for you. They're really uncomfortable, and you um, start avoiding certain situations where those difficult feelings would come up. Um, and then you can you can notice like yes, in the short term that has some benefits, right? You're not feeling anxious, for example, you're not with those distressing sensations. Um, so I think it's really important to always notice that, um, yeah, there is a reason why our minds are going there because it, it feels, you feel so much relief in the moment when you're doing that. Um, but then when we're looking at the long-term consequences, we can see what happens is these feelings always come back and they tend to come back even stronger. So the feeling shows up, you go into experiential avoidance and then what does the feeling do? It's coming back. And you're like kind of in that stuck loop um, by going to experiential avoidance. The other part that we can notice is like, is that actually bringing you closer to what is really important to you. Um, and what I heard for Jim there, he kind of got stuck in that cycle of like working, working, working. Um, and that led to him like feeling like maybe I'm like 
in some time in the future, I'll be able to really support my family in that way and to spend a lot of time with them. And that like coming back to that value of like what he was actually yearning for wasn't like accomplishments in his career, but it was, it was more of a yearning for connection and to spend time with people that are really important to him. Um, so yeah, we can- if I can, yeah. And what I love about what you're describing is you can see how the feelings uh, match up in that way. So if his first feeling was sadness that he maybe didn't even have language for, um, his version of experiential avoidance among others, including distraction and, and things like that. But it was the sadness became anger and then the anger took over. And in his case, I think functionally his anger was avoidance of his sadness. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then because his sadness was becoming anger, he didn't realize that the sadness was actually a cue that he was longing for connection. So the, the avoidance of the feeling of sadness also made it hard for him to be in contact with his values. And I was like, just um, liking the way that you were putting those two together. Do you want to say more about it? Uh, no, I think that was like a, a really great way to, to summarize that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other part that I just wanted to mention in terms of experiential avoidance, like, so this is the part of noticing how that works, how that plays out in your life and how that can actually take you away from the things that are truly important to you or the experiences that are truly important to you. And then the other part of it is kind of knowing how our minds work and that we often approach our minds like we would, um, we would like for example, approach interior design or any sort of problem that's presented to us in the outside world, right? If I, if I don't like a painting on my wall, I can decide to take that painting down and just put something else up there. Um, and that's how we often think we can also approach our internal world. So it's like, I don't want to be with that feeling. That's like really uncomfortable. So I'm trying to switch it out for a different feeling or I'm trying to do something to just take that feeling off the wall, so to speak. Um, And our internal world just doesn't work like that. Um, And what I do with clients to kind of um, give them a sense of like what, what I actually mean with that um, is yeah, to do a few little experiential exercises with them or, or thought experiments to give them kind of the experiential knowledge of like, oh yeah, I think that really doesn't work. Oh, I would love to see those exercises. Can we do one together? Yeah, definitely. Um, So when we're talking about thoughts, um, one that many people have often heard about is um, what we call the pink elephant exercise. So it's basically um, the 
the rules of the exercise or that little game that we can be playing um, is that you are not allowed to think about a pink elephant uh, for the next minute. And I'm going to take the time and whatever you do, uh, don't think about a pink elephant in any shape or form. So don't think about a drawing of a pink elephant. Don't think about um, a little girl writing on a pink elephant. Don't think about somebody painting an elephant pink, don't think about dancing pink elephants, don't think about pajamas with pink elephants on them, like whatever you're thinking about, like just ban the pink elephant from your mind. At the same time, I would like you to check if you're still thinking about the pink elephant. So please monitor your mind if the pink elephant is really gone exercise um, we're doing it for about one minute and um, yeah you're just signaling to me uh, whether you're seeing the, the pink elephant or not um, yeah like as we were talking about it um, were you did you try to get the pink elephant out of your mind did you already start imagining that yeah I was kind of laughing to myself that as soon as you said the game is don't think about a pink elephant I immediately had one but then I like the way you elaborated on it because I saw all the things that you were telling me not to see. Is that common for people? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really what people usually experience uh, during the exercise. So, um, so yeah, it's really it really illustrates how when we're not trying to think about something, how that brings the thought up even more. And I'm always willing to bet that if we're doing that exercise for one minute, you will have thought more about a pink elephant in that one minute where you were not supposed to talk. About to think about the pink elephant than you did in the entire last year or maybe even your entire life. Um, so that's when we're looking at thoughts. Um, when we're looking at feelings, it's a very, very similar process. And um, the thought experiment that I like to do to illustrate that is Imagine I'm putting you in a really comfortable chair and you're feeling very relaxed, uh, you're completely at ease, and I'm hooking you up to a lie detector. Uh, do you know what a lie detector is measuring? Yeah, typically your fear response, right? Yeah, it's a really, really sensitive measure for our fight and flight response getting engaged. So it measures your heart rate, your blood pressure, and like tiny little changes in how um, how much you're sweating. So um, I can I have like just imagine it as as me having a really sensitive measure of you getting anxious. So you're in a super comfortable chair. Um, Got it. In that chair. Um, and I let you dangle over a shark tank with them. And I'm telling you, Maggie, you're completely fine. Nothing's going to happen to you. Just relax. Um, the only thing you're not allowed to do is get anxious. If you're getting anxious, and I can see that, and I can see the tiny little spikes, um, I'm going to drop you into the shark tank. And we haven't fed those sharks for a couple of weeks, so you better not get anxious. It's really a life or death kind of situation here. So, but easy task, right? Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, immediately 
I was already feeling anxious when you were just bringing up the idea of the Shark Tank. But I know, like, even though it was imaginal, um, I immediately got anxious when you said, don't get anxious. Yeah. So, I mean, our minds can get anxious about anything that we can imagine, right? And if we're trying to will ourselves to not feel a certain way, um, that's almost guaranteed to bring that emotion up even stronger. So even in this situation where it would be a life or death kind of situation, um, you're not able to control your feelings in a way that many people, when they start out with therapy, uh, think they should be able to control their feelings. Yeah. So just to summarize those kind of exercises back to you in terms of experiential avoidance. Basically, the the pink elephant idea is that the more that you try to avoid your thoughts, the more they come back. And that's represented by the pink elephant. And then the more the shark tank is representing the urge to suppress or control your feelings that are those are also avoidant behaviors that actually just make the more the more you think you can control what you feel and the more that you're trying to get rid of it. Um, even if your life depends on it, um, it's actually likely that it's going to come back instead. Yeah, exactly. And and many people have that have those beliefs, right? That we should be able to control what we're thinking, or that it's a simple choice to feel a certain way, and that there must be something wrong with us to uh, feel a certain feeling. And that's also something that I heard Jim say of. Um, yeah, noticing, um, wow, those feelings, that's actually really normal to have feelings and there's nothing wrong with me for having feelings in the first place. And when I'm allowing myself to be with those feelings, that's actually way less scary than I had imagined before. Yep. I totally agree. I, and I totally agree that sometimes that's, it's hard to get to that if you don't know what the feelings are in the first place. But then once you do um, know what they are, then trying to stay with them rather than avoiding is, is the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know that we were talking before about how that can be tied to our values. Um, do you want to talk more about how you combine overcoming experiential avoidance with values work? Yeah, so I think values are a really important part in like then actually reorienting ourselves toward the kind of life that we actually want to be living. Um, and when we're thinking about experiential avoidance, um, it's it's really driven by that urge of getting away from difficult internal experiences. And what we're doing with values is kind of the opposite of that. So we're, we really want to be thinking about what is it that is important to me? How do I want to be living um, my life and creating motivation and willingness to um, be with all the difficult um, feelings and thoughts also in the service of um, living the kind of life that's, that's rich and meaningful to you. How do people get there? How do you yeah. help people identify what they value? 
Yeah, that's 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 a really good question. I mean, often we start with just you know really asking that question: what what is important to you? And if we take a step back from that, you know, often we're getting so caught up in our fight with anxiety or our fight with other difficult um, feelings or thoughts that, um, yeah, just slowing down and coming back to that question in the first place can be helpful in like, oh, okay, yeah, what is actually important for me? If anxiety wasn't here, what would I actually be doing? Um, and I love that question. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, it's it's often like it often like kind of stops people in their tracks of like wait what there is another way of looking at that like what would that actually be um what would I actually want to be doing um and then yeah we have different ways of of exploring that more. So we can do that, for example, by perspective taking. We can think about, um, yeah, if I would look back on my life when I'm, let's say, 80 years old, what would be the moments that I wish I would have had in my life? Or we can look back at your life and see like in the past, have there been any moments where you were feeling really alive and really like noticing that richness and fullness of your experience in, in that moment. Um, and we can try to, to really drop into that. So often I would prompt people to um, close their eyes if that's comfortable to them and just settling in and um, getting in touch with what they're, what they're feeling in the moment. And then just thinking about, yeah, a moment in the past that's connected to an area of their life that's important to them. Um, and think think about a moment that had that kind of quality where where they were really feeling uh, like yeah this is a moment where I'm where I truly feel alive or where where what I'm doing feels really meaningful to me and and then connect with all the sensations that were coming up for them and and trying to see that moment again through their eyes as the person that they were back in that moment and, and noticing what was it about that moment that made it so special, um, that made it so meaningful for you. That's great. That was a um, exercise I was just kind of doing in my head while you were talking. So thank you for that. Um, do you find in doing this exercise, do you find people connecting more with their older self looking back on their life or their younger self looking, having a really fulfilling moment just out of curiosity? Yeah, um, it, it really, it really depends. So that's, that's a part of the exploration of what resonates most with you. Sometimes what can get in the way are a lot of 
beliefs or concepts about how you should be living your life. So that's something that we always want to look out for, out for also is when people, um, yeah, when you notice like, well, um, I think what, you know, my, my family would expect from me is to have that career as, um, a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is. And so like, I have to like go down that path, for example, or I live, uh, many of the clients that I work with live in, in Silicon Valley, right. And are like part of this like really high pressure environment. And I, I heard Jim talking about also kind of that being really helpful for him to get out of an environment that was really a high high pressure high stress industry uh, mm-hmm. for him here that made it easier for him to connect with his values and noticing like wait a minute it's really family that I want to be with like this career is not as important to me so Another question that we can ask and that many people find helpful is, um, yeah, really, if nobody else was looking, would this still be important for you? Mm-hmm. So yes, kind of I love way, like all the societal expectations, expectations from our peers, expectations from our families, like any kind of outside pressure of what should you be doing to live a meaningful life? I love that. I think that's a great question. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind for me too, when people are experiencing more significant anxiety is that your values are, sometimes can be found under your anxiety. So not that the content of your anxiety is true, but for instance, those that have a lot of health anxiety tend to care deeply about having a sense of well-being. Um, so rather than um, compulsing about and, and doing lots of reassurance seeking, researching, or compulsive behavior around their feared outcome related to health, we can try to help them facilitate things that would um, increase their well-being. Um, other examples are those that have fears about death of themselves or other or their loved ones often care deeply about connection. So just looking for like under, I know you said before, if you weren't anxious, what would you feel? But I think there's also like under your anxiety um, is what you care about. So let's look for the values there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's often, it's, it's kind of, that this the dif- a different side of the same coin right where your where your pain and your suffering is showing up those are usually the areas where also your values lie um where um yeah where you really find um find what's driving you and what's um what's important for you in your life um i also i like um I like the example of when we think about people with scrupulosity, for example, um, or um, religious um, compulsions, like you wouldn't be um, really upset about maybe doing something that goes against your faith if your faith wasn't like really important for you, right? So, yeah. um, and that also, yeah, it shows how, 
how we can see those differences between people and like what content gets sticky for them is usually also where their values lie or where uh, something something is hidden underneath that that's really important for them. Totally agree. Well, in awareness of our time, was there anything else that was coming to mind when you listened to um, the sessions I had with Jim? I, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, overall, it was just, um, it was just really great to hear you to talk about his therapy process and, um, yeah, how he's really found a way to use all those skills that you've been practicing uh, together that he's learned in therapy and apply it to his his life. And it sounds like he's. Um, yeah, he's really taking a lot of actions right now that are orienting him toward what is truly important for him. And it sounds like his his life is much more enjoyable and, and meaningful to him now. And, um, and yeah, less under the control of, I need to, um, yeah, get get rid of those, uh, those feelings or... Um, yeah, avoid any ter- any any kind of in- internal <clears throat> internal struggle that's showing up for him. So that I was just really, I was just really really great to listen to. So glad to hear it. Um, well, thank you so much for your time today. I had a great time discussing the case. Um, thanks again, Dr. Anya Smith. Thanks so much, Maggie, for for having me. This was really fun. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.